Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, hello, Crossing Church. How are you doing today? You doing good? Good to see y'all surviving. All of our locations, uh, all the kids and grandkids going out. I tell you what, it's so much different than it used to be. It used to be for Halloween, I would just have to go find something in the basement, you know, put it on, you know, get some uh, something to put on my face, and you know, most years I ended up being a pirate. I don't know, something like that. Maybe buy a plastic mask at the five and dime, but. You know, to, it gets pretty crazy today. I mean, the, people go all out. It's like a contest. It's like so many other things. But man, uh, but the, you got to admit that when kids and grandkids go out, they look pretty awesome. I was looking at, you know, my grandkids all dressed up. It's just awesome. Absolutely great. Love that. And they get an opportunity to act. You know, they get the, uh, an opportunity to be somebody that they're not and uh, pretend uh, but uh, some of us are a lot better at that, right? Uh, we've actually taken that on a lot more personally uh, of pretending. Speaking of, of pretending, I think that Jason Harding is pretending he's a WWE wrestler. I don't know how many of you saw that second baptism, but that was Jason Harding. And when you've been baptized by Jason Harding, you've been baptized. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I mean, he hits the bottom of the baptistry with people. It's awesome. Love you, Jason. Love you, Keacock. Anyway, just so thankful that all of our locations have the opportunity to be one body in Christ today. If you're uh, inside online, so thankful for each and every one of you as well. And uh, like every week before I I preach, I'm just kind of taking in information, taking in data, like what is happening out in the world that'll help me to communicate the the topic. And, you know, so I'm just doing that. It's just normal and then uh, this uh, tragic news comes out of this accidental shooting on the set of Rust uh, with Alec you know, Baldwin doing this. You all have heard about this, right? And during rehearsal, a prop gun, which was actually a real gun, was accidentally loaded with live rounds. And when Baldwin used it in rehearsal, he accidentally shot and killed the cinematographer, a married mother of two. Now, uh, that, that's all, of course, blowing up on social media right now. But one of the things that happened is that uh, Baldwin is an outspoken uh, critic on Twitter and ha- has said a lot of things on Twitter that have been incendiary. And one of the things that he's done is he's really called out people for shooting, particularly an accidental shooting. And uh, I, 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 you know, People were quick to jump on those previous tweets of his because the shoe's on the other foot, where a person who extended no grace would then expect grace. And uh, that's what I'm preaching on today. I'm preaching on grace. And so that, that, that whole story, I've been following it just because it really hit me, this, how, how we might be able to do that. We wouldn't want to extend grace to other people but then we would expect it when it comes in our when it needs to come in our direction, and it got me thinking about just how desperately we all need grace. Can I get an amen for that? I mean, we need lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of grace. The reason that I'm here, the reason that you're here, one of our locations, online insight, is because 
We need grace. And grace is at the heart of what it means to have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the basis on which he came to earth in the first place to extend grace, his unmerited favor. The acronym is great riches at Christ's expense. And he was the one that paid for grace and it was not cheap. It was extremely expensive. His own blood was required. And so since this is the central message of Jesus, you can see that resonate through all the Gospels and all of his teaching, but it particularly resonates. It's captured in a story that Luke relates in Luke chapter 15. Because what you're seeing is this whole idea of not extending grace and how Jesus teaches through it. It begins with verse 1 and 2 of that chapter. It says, Now there were tax collectors and sinners. They were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, let me just ask you a question. The thing that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, was it true? Did he welcome sinners and eat with them? Absolutely true. Totally true. So even though they're muttering it, it's true. They're, they're, they're sharing a truth that he did welcome sinners and tax collectors. And of course, sinners, that would be kind of an interchangeable word with prostitutes and eat with them. Because, but because Jesus ate with them, it didn't mean like he acted like them, right? There's a difference between welcoming and eating with someone. That means he's trying to create an environment where he can extend grace and when they say this, they're just not reflecting a fact. They're making a judgment call, aren't they? They're like, oh, because he, because he welcomes you and because he eats with you, that must mean he's like you. That's not necessarily true at all. What, there, what was true was there was an eternal purpose in what Jesus was doing. But those religious leaders were incapable of seeing it. As a matter of fact, there were a ton of things that those religious leaders were incapable of seeing that were actually blind to, right? Jesus didn't act like sinners. He welcomed and ate with them, didn't act like them. But these religious leaders, they knew all about acting. Oh, yes. They were experts at acting. They got up every morning and put on their costume. They went to stage every day and rehearsed their lines. They performed at the temple and they gave, you know, when they gave an offering at the temple, they would bring musicians. Can you imagine people doing that today? Like, hey, before I give my offering, we're just going to have this like trumpet fanfare so you can all see what I put in the offering plate. That's what they did. They literally performed at the temple when they gave their offering, where they spouted off their teaching. They wore the mask so well, as a matter of fact, they forgot they were actually wearing one. They were like method actors, where they got so lost in playing their part, they forgot their true identity. So that day for Jesus was a day like any other. It was a day to extend grace to people. That's why he came. And he was able to recognize this simple truth that there were people there who weren't wearing masks and there were people there who were wearing masks, who were acting. But they were all sinners. 
Just some pretending they weren't and some recognizing they were. Now, some that weren't wearing masks, when people would say, oh yeah, you're a tax collector, you're a sinner, you're a prostitute, they'd go, yeah, I am. No mask there, no pretentiousness there. But then there were plenty there that didn't see it at all, these seasoned actors who were just as sinful, right? The only difference was that one group's aware of it and the other group isn't. It's like two kinds of alcoholics. You know, one alcoholic drinks his wine out of a box that he got at the local corner store or covered up in a brown paper bag that he purchased it in because he barely makes it out of the store without starting to drink it. But then the other guy, I mean, he can tell you what the vintage of the, uh, the, the wine is and how, whether it rained a lot that year in France. And he kind of sniffs it and swirls it and he puts it in the right glass and he lets it breathe for a little while and then he drinks it. But both of them end up getting just as hammered. Hear what I'm saying? So Jesus didn't condemn them. Listen to me. He didn't condemn either one. He didn't condemn the tax collectors and the sinners, and he didn't condemn the Pharisees. He didn't say anything at that particular time negatively to either one. You know why? Because he was extending grace equally. He was extending grace to the people who weren't wearing the mask, and he was extending grace to the people who were wearing the mask. Because the fact is everybody in the room needed grace. Just like everybody in this room and every room listening to me needs grace. And so instead of judging, he reasoned with them. And the way that Jesus chose to reason with them was by telling stories. And he told three of them back to back. And I love these three stories and I love the order that they come in. One was about a lost sheep, one was about a lost coin, and one was about a lost son. Now, the first two stories are really setting you up for the third one, because the third one is going to deal with his immediate circumstances. The people that were, that were wanting to be close to Jesus, to listen to him, that were completely aware of their sinfulness, and the people that were judging the other people because they weren't aware He's going to get to that. But he sets it up so brilliantly. The first story is the story of a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one sheep wanders off. And so the shepherd leaves 99. And he goes and finds the one lost sheep and brings that sheep back to the fold and does so rejoicing as he comes. It's a happy ending, the story. Second story is about a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one coin. And then the Bible tells us, Jesus telling the story says that she turns her house upside down. She sweeps and cleans to find that one lost coin. And I know that it loses something in the culture here because you're going, what's a coin? What's the big deal? Well, this wasn't just any coin. A lot of times in Jewish culture, they use coins as a, a symbol of something greater, like engagement. So it'd be like losing your engagement ring or something like that, losing one of those coins. So it was precious to her well beyond its value as a coin. And of course, when she finds it, she's overjoyed and she wants to tell all of her friends and neighbors that she had found her lost coin. And the third story is about this son, or basically two sons. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus tells them in that order. 
because what he's doing is magnifying intimacy. You see, there is incredible grace and incredible intimacy in grace, right? So the first is one out of 100. So it's kind of a wide angle view. And then it's one out of 10. So it's narrowing that focus. And then it becomes one out of two, right? Because grace has an intimacy in its nature. So when we say intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're, this is really hitting the intimacy of it. And we find that in grace. So here's what I want to do. I want us to dive into the third story because the first two are setting up the third one. It's a long uh, passage, but it's worth reading every bit of it. So stay with me. All right. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. My favorite verse, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and he came near the house. He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and, I love this, pleaded with him. And he answered his, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Mm. There's so much richness in this story. And I just want us to capture that richness. But I also want us to make it personal. I want to ask you a question. Are you like me? Like when you read this story, you start taking on the characteristics of one of the characters in the story. Do you find yourself like as an actor? Like if I were cast for this story, which part would I play? Which part would you play? Maybe uh, the majority of you would say, oh yeah, I'm a total shoe-in for the lost son. Let me read for that part because that's who I am. I'm the lost son or the lost daughter. Do you immediately go there? Is that your part of the parable? Let's see if you've got the right idea. Have you wasted all your opportunities? Have you blown up your relationships? Have you let lots of people down and now you're living in the results of those choices? What does it look like for you to play this part? What do you think it looked like for the character in the story? So you notice that the son wants his inheritance early. What was the reason for that? Well, in Jewish culture, there was birthright, okay? And birthright were for male children. So the oldest male children received this thing called birthright. He also received a blessing, and I'll tell you why. He got a double portion of the father's inheritance and a blessing from his father because there was a responsibility that went along with it. The responsibility was when the father died, all the responsibility of that family was going to fall on that older brother. So if you were a younger brother, you didn't receive the birthright. You still got an inheritance, you just didn't get double the inheritance. So the truth is, the younger brother only got a third. He didn't get half because the older brother would get this double portion. I wonder if that made the younger brother feel victimized. You know what I mean? That he uh, rationalized his behavior by going, you know what, I'm not the older brother. I don't get everything he gets, so maybe I should just get what I have coming to me and go and do what I want to do. Maybe he had a little bit of chip on his shoulder, you know, because he was the youngest and not favored. He couldn't see the future that he wanted for himself. I wonder if he blamed God. I wonder if he blamed his father. I wonder if he blamed his brother just because of the birth order. But what we find in the story is that he chose to make his own future, right? I'll make my own future. I want my inheritance now. I'm going to go to a far country. I'm going to just live the way that I want to live, make my own choices. I will be Lord of my life. Sound familiar? You know what? He got what he wanted. Got exactly what he wanted. Could, would some of you say, if you were being honest with yourself, the absolute worst thing sometimes that can happen is to get exactly what you want? Because the problem is what we want is a reflection of our truth. 
And we live very much in a post-truth culture, right? The you do you and I'll do me culture. So it's like, you know, your truth and my truth don't have to be the same because all truth is relative anyway. And that's probably what he thought. And so he had his truth and he was living according to his truth. But his truth was actually a long way from the truth. And that's what sin does. I mean, sin makes you Lord of your life. That's what it does. But this is what else it does. It takes you further than you ever wanted to go, costs you more than you ever wanted to pay, and it leaves you there longer, way longer than you ever wanted to stay. And that's what happened to this young man. Is that the part you're playing right now? Is that where you are in the script right now? I would imagine there's some people, and so thankful, believe me, I'm so thankful. There are people that are at that part of the script right now at one of our locations where you're kind of going, you're at this moment where you read this, these words. Because this entire story pivots on this one sentence. He came to his senses. But you know when that happened? It happened when he was longing to eat what pigs ate. Right? Isn't it true that it has to cost you an awful lot before you come to that point in your life? Before you're willing to swallow this idol called pride and realize I'm not in a place where I thought my truth was going to take me? Maybe right now you could say, how much is it, how does it cost me to get to that point where I come to myself? See, Jesus sees that. So he's like scanning this crowd and he sees all of these self-righteous people who haven't come to themselves. And he sees all these sinners who haven't come to themselves, but at least they're in an environment where they might see that, they might hear that, they might respond to that, and that if they could just grab a hold of this grace, it would be great. What is your story? What's it right now? Where are you at that, in, that, in the script? I want you to see something else, because I like these little nuances that are inside the story, like this. Do you see that even in the middle of his first good decision, this younger brother's first good decision, he's still sinning like crazy. What do you mean, Jerry? Well, he's still trying to control everything, right? I mean, he literally writes the script for what he's going to say to his father and what his father's going to say to him. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I don't deserve to be your son. All I need to be is your hired hand. And you know, then maybe my father will say, okay, I'll make you a hired hand. I'll, I'll, I'll let you back in to the home and you can have a job and that way you can eat and you can survive. I mean, he's got it all figured out in his head. <laughs> well, we're in the midst of sin. Listen, we, we, we tend to think that we have it all figured out in our head. We're still trying to control things, trying to write our Heavenly Father's response. What I love about it is that Jesus has patience for that. Just because we get one thing right, we don't have everything right. This younger brother had most everything still wrong, but he got one thing right, and God has this incredible patience. Jesus has this incredible patience for us to get things right one at a time. And that's what grace is all about, right? I love that. So he's got it all figured out and 
you know, he's hobbling home. And what do you think it felt like to come over that last hill looking like he did? I mean, I think when I see this story in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, he's barely recognizable. I mean, he left a healthy, strong young man. He came back, uh, somebody who's starving to death, who's lost everything in tatters and rags, dirty, you know, emaciated. But he can see something off in the distance in the valley. And that's a figure running in his direction, trying to figure out who might that be? I love this part of the story because he knew what it was like. He knew what it's like to be embraced by his heavenly father, by his father. And I wonder if there's anyone at any of our locations right now who has gotten this far in the prodigal son's script, and that's the part you're playing, but you have not yet had that incredible moment where you feel the arms of your heavenly father come around you and accept you regardless of what you're wearing or how you're smelling or you know what you've done in your past, that there is so much grace for you that your heavenly Father would embrace you and hold you and not let go of you. I wonder if you've had that feeling to be embraced by your Father or if today could be that moment for you. And I wonder... If you have experienced that, the reconciliation with your heavenly father, I wonder if right now in your heart, you would consider the people that are sitting around you, people that live next door to you, the people that you work alongside of, and understand that we're a world of prodigals. We're a world of lost sons and daughters. I wonder if you're praying for them. Honestly, maybe that's not your part in the story. Some of you just naturally went there. You just went to the lost son. I wonder how many of you are actually playing the part of the older brother. Oh, isn't it weird that the prodigal son's kind of the hero and the older brother, even though he's doing everything right, is the villain in the story? It's kind of strange, isn't it? Maybe you're playing the part of the older brother because many of us find this part more to our liking, maybe not in the story, but in real life. What does it look like? Let's get into this part. Maybe you're trying to play by the rules. Maybe that's who you are. Maybe you're working hard to be the example. Maybe you're trying your best to color inside the lines. And it's frustrating when you see younger brothers and sisters around you squandering all this that came so hard-earned, and they just blow it. Isn't it easy to create labels for them and to hang them around the necks of the people around us? Maybe it's because it makes us feel better about the things that we've deprived ourselves of and the choices that we've made. But... If we are honest for a moment, just a moment, we might be pretty bitter on the inside. Just because things aren't so external with us, it doesn't mean that they aren't just as damaging. 
Maybe we're damaged. Maybe we have a bitter and a broken soul. Maybe we take pleasure in the failings of others. And we want to remind others of those failings because it justifies the choices that we've made. Truth is, maybe we're just as lost. It's just harder to see. See the picture? See what Jesus is saying? Prodigal son? That part is being played by the tax collector, sinners, and prostitutes. Older brother? That part is being played by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. We're just as lost. It's just harder to see. We want to make ourselves the heroes in our own stories. That's what they were doing. And religious leaders, let me tell you something. We're the worst. Some of you are going, I'm the worst. I win. You know, if this was, if this was, this was a beauty contest on being awful, you would all want to declare yourself first place. I'm going to declare myself first place because which one of you stands up in front of other people on a stage every week and tells them how to live their life and then goes home and goofs up? You want to know why preachers' kids have so much problem? I mean, you know, they're infamous, aren't they, preachers' kids? You know why? Because they see mom and dad one way at church and see them a completely different way at home. And they're going, actor, hypocrite. You know the word actor and the word hypocrite, same word, right? Hmm. You know, there's hardly a week that goes by where there isn't another story in the news about another religious leader, someone who has great influence, that's blown up. And do you know what? people who write stories about them. Do you know the term they use? It's a really interesting term. They have fallen, finish it, fallen from grace. How many of you heard that before? They have fallen from grace. You know, that's just stupid. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Nobody ever falls from grace. Grace isn't something you fall out of. It's something you fall into. True? Yeah. Grace are the palms of nail-scarred hands. And when everything is all blown up in your life and you fall, it's grace that catches you. Grace doesn't go, grace goes, I've got you. We fall into grace, not out of it. Actually, this story is about two prodigal sons. One that knows it and the other one that doesn't know it. Just like that house that Jesus was in, teaching was full of prodigal sons and daughters, just some that knew it and some that didn't know it, right? But there's a third character in the story. And some of you might be so bold as to believe that you relate to the father. And some of you are going, hold it. No, 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 no. You can't. Nobody gets to play that part, right? Hold on. Before all you prodigals based in your own unworthiness and all your older brothers and sisters start wrestling with the theology of what I'm saying, just take a moment and listen to what Jesus is saying. While the part of the Father belongs to God and we're not God, this is the only part that Jesus really wants us to play in this story. 
Let me explain what I mean. He doesn't want us to just be the grace receivers. He wants us to take that grace and be grace extenders. You hear me? He wants us to be ambassadors of his grace. It isn't our grace, it's his grace. But we've received so much we can share. You're not going to run out. You've received so much grace that you can share it and share it and share it and you'll never run out of it, right? When we become ambassadors of his grace, we take on the likeness of our heavenly father. We become a reflection of him. He wants us to be the one just like him who keeps our eyes on the horizon and we're looking for that next broken person, that next ruined person that comes stumbling over that last hill. He wants us to be the ones who run to that broken person, throw our arms around them, embrace them, forgive them, clothe them, put a ring on their finger, be a party thrower, to be ambassadors of his grace. He wants us to be the people who help to get God's children home. Amen. Now, the truth is, I hate saying this. I'd like to pick a part, but I've played all three at one time or another in my life. Is that true for you? Y'all been the prodigal? Have you all been the elder brother? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Really? Get out your social media. Boy, that's stupid. Look at that person. <laughs> that idiot. Dumb. Stupid. Idiot. 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 Right? Yeah, we don't judge people. And maybe sometimes we've been in the role of the father. That we've gotten out of our own way and let Jesus have his way. Truth is, I don't want to play any parts anymore. I don't want to wear any masks anymore. I don't want to put on any more costumes. I don't want to look at the world and see it as a stage where I want to fake everyone else out when I know the truth. I just want to be the person that Jesus made me to be. Now, I know I can say that, and it's another thing living it out. And it's certainly another thing living it out consistently. But that's what I want. I want to be fully embraced and then fully embraced how lost I've been. Whether it's been on the outside or whether it's been on the inside or whether it's been outside and inside at the same time. I want to be embraced by my Heavenly Father who loves me, knowing fully who I am and what I've done. And then I want to reflect that by embracing others and distribute this incredible grace that I don't deserve and I didn't earn, that Jesus knows everybody in this world so desperately needs. And it begins with you. And it begins with me. Think about that while we move to a time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. 
You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.